You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And, and, let's get to it. Yes, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I encourage you to have paper, pen, notes. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers have Bibles. Just raise your hand. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand because we believe God's Word is living and active and we just don't want you to sit here and hear the Word of God or sit at home and hear the Word of God. Instead, what you need to do is to have the Word of God so you hear it, you see it, you underline it, you interact with it, and, uh, and encourage you, bring your Bibles, bring your Bibles on a Sunday. If you like, leave it at home, um, don't leave it at home. Bring it with you and get your hands on a copy. The ushers would be glad to give you a copy of God's Word. Make sure you get one of those journals for $5 to be able to write down and, and take notes as we work through God's Word together as the body of Christ here week after week as well. Encourage you, put your name in it though so that we know whose it is when it gets left behind here because it probably will at one point or another. There's always lost and found at the end of every service. So I want to begin by just asking you, can you think of a time when you were given some encouragement from someone that, whether it was a word, it was a phone call, it was a text, it was an email that just came at the right time, that so blessed you and so lifted your spirit and perhaps even propelled your life and your faith in one way or another. And it gave you that encouragement, that challenge to just press on even though you were greatly discouraged. I can think of a word in encouragement. I can think of numerous ones, but one in particular I received in the midst of a very discouraging time. It was in the very early development stages of this church where there was, before there was anything official, there was a group of us meeting together, spending time in worship and the word in prayer on Sunday nights. And it was a tough go some of those weeks. And there was just a lot of things going on. And as this group would meet, there was one night, particularly after the event, I'm like, I am done. I think I am done. There is no way we're going to keep going with this. I am done. I was discouraged. There were just a lot of things going on. I thought, man, this church planting, starting a church is going to be so much work and so hard and so discouraged. And I got in the vehicle that night thinking, I'm going to give the notice. I'm done. I'll just, we'll just figure out something else. I just can't do this anymore. And then then this little high-pitched voice of this skinny little 11-year-old young man said, you know, Dad, this is probably our best church experience in Kelowna yet. And I'm like, oh, I did not need to hear that. But I needed to hear that. And that honestly gave that encouragement and propelled us to continue to keep going another week. And as we did, we've gotten to be a part of seeing God do some amazing things. And it came from a very unassuming person, not knowing how greatly they would be used. God's perfect timing can give us such needed encouragement, that push to keep going, to press on. Rather than quitting, rather than packing it in, we keep going. And when Jesus was 40 days old, Mary and Joseph received a timely blessing, a timely encouragement, a confirmation that they so needed, and it was from a complete stranger. They didn't know who this guy was. And not only did those words bless and encourage Joseph and Mary, but it helped, he ended up receiving an incredible blessing in return. And that is something our God wants to do. As we are being used of God and for God, we can receive even a greater blessing than what we've even given. 
Let's read in Luke chapter 2. You can follow along with me, starting in verse 22. And it says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who, is fir- who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this was 40 days after Jesus was born. If we back up a little bit to eight days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph would have taken him to a ceremony where he would have been circumcised in keeping with the law of the Old Testament. Now it's 40 days after his birth, and it was the time for the purification ceremony. And there is, there is a lot of detail and symbolism and importance for this. This was a requirement for all firstborn sons that Mary and that this offering is given as a purification ceremony. And so Mary and Joseph traveled up to Jerusalem as part of that ceremony, and they would give, in that ceremony, they would give an offering. And this offering that they would give, the Old Testament law required that it would be a young lamb that would be given. However, there was an allowance that would be given either two doves or two pigeons if the family, if the parents could not afford a lamb. In other words, if they were poor. And we see here that Joseph and Mary offered the latter because they would have been considered the working poor. Joseph worked hard as a carpenter, but they didn't have a lot of resources. They they, uh, didn't have a lot, but they still, they didn't keep that, the fact that they didn't have a lot of resources, that God's work went first, and they were going to honor God in this way. So while they're at at the temple, they are introduced to this man by the name of Simeon. Simeon, he wasn't a priest. He had no designated office. Because if he did, we would have been told so. He, he was not a member of the clergy. He was, not, he, he was a layman. He was an ordinary guy. Someone you would rub shoulders with at the market or at the temple. He would be a great neighbor. He would have been a great neighbor to people. Simeon was also a very common name. It was very common in that, in that day. And his name literally means God has heard. It already, that name even dates back to one of the tribes of Israel. There was the tribe of Simeon. Very common name, very common person, and yet used in a mighty way by God to bless Joseph and Mary. These verses, he just appears and then he disappears in God's word here. We don't know anything before this. We don't know anything after this. But the verses that we will be reading here today about him tell us so very much. And I believe, and I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when God opens the books one day, and he re- rewards those, and rewards are given out for our faithfulness here on this earth, there will be a reward for Simeon. And for all people like him who were here on this earth, often overlooked, ordinary people, used in very extraordinary ways. Perhaps what they did here on earth in their own eyes or in the eyes of others seemed perhaps very insignificant. To the outsider even watching this exchange between Joseph and Mary and this little little baby Jesus and and Simeon, it would have just seemed like just some old guy talking to this young couple and just being all excited about this little, little baby boy. 
It would have seemed very, very ordinary, very perhaps insignificant. And yet, as, the, as God rolls out the rewards and, and we see what ends up happening, we see that because of people like Simeon, you can be a Simeon or a Simone, I guess you could say, and, and, and used in, ins- we may think, insignificant ways and yet have a great significance, honoring the Lord, crowning Jesus as King. And this church, Hope Kelowna, has and is, and I trust will continue to be blessed in many ways, in many regards, and, and in many ways is sustained by the work of people like Simeon. We thank you, you faithful Simeons. And today we're going to see five qualities that mark Simeon's life. And I pray that these qualities, that as they appear on the screen, and I trust you'll write them down, whether you're here in person or joining us online, that these would be areas in our own lives we would take and we would examine our own lives in light of Simeon, in light of God's word here today. Five qualities that marked his life. And may we pray and strive and adjust our lives starting today that these qualities would be real in our lives as well. Here's the first one, write it down. His heart was right before God. Look at in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Two very significant words encourage you, if it is your own Bible, to, 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 to underline this in your Bible, and, and that is the words righteous and devout. Simeon was righteous and devout. That first word, righteous, speaks of a vertical relationship with God. Whenever the Bible says that someone was righteous, it means that they were in right standing before God. They had been justified by God. No one, and get this, you need to understand this, especially if you grew up in a religious home, that no one can earn their own righteousness. No one can make it to God, can make it to heaven by just doing their own good works, by living a good enough life. No one can earn their own righteousness before God. It's absolutely impossible. Only God can declare someone to be righteous to be justified, to be one of his children. And to be righteous means, is to be justified, or the term we might use is saved or born again. But when a person or anyone, Simeon include, when, when, when anyone trusts God by faith for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, knowing that they have sinned, God then applies the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to that life and we are justified. Now for Simeon, you say, well, the cross hadn't happened yet. This was before the cross. Well, for Simeon and for all those who were righteous in the Old Testament, for the Old Testament saints, Christ hadn't died yet for their sins. But because Simeon and these Old Testament saints understood their own sinfulness, came to that point in their life where they realized they were sinful and that they couldn't earn their own salvation and that that Someone like Simeon or the Old Testament saints needed to cast themselves upon the mercy of God and trust him and him alone for their salvation, that he alone is God. And when that would happen, God would declare him righteous, the man, the woman, the child righteous on that basis. 
And it was on the basis of what Christ would later do on the cross. You can read more about this right down Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. There's more insights into this. But Simeon, he was a true believer, even though Christ did not yet die. He was a true believer, justified before God. He was in right standing. How do we know that? Because it says he was righteous. And this is the Holy Spirit writing this. This is using Luke, the doctor, to, to write, to, to inspired him and led him and controlled him when it came to writing this. And, and all of God's word is, is like that. And so when it says he was righteous, it was a declaration. He is righteous. He's been justified before God. But it also says he was devout, which means a, a horizontal relationship that, that, that the first one being righteous meant that there was a vertical relationship with God, but then being devout is that it lived out in the horizontal in everyday life, in the lives of others, his family, his friends, the people he went to the temple with, the people that he rubbed shoulders with at the market. There was a devotion that he had and it was noticeable to those around him. Devout in this context means that he was concerned for the things of God in everyday life. He was careful, he was cautious, he was devoted to obey God and to honor him. He desired to bring glory to God with his life. That is what a life devoted to God means. This speaks of Simeon's character. He watched his life and his doctrine closely, how he lived his life, how he spoke. He wanted his life to point not to himself, not to all that he was doing. He wanted his life to point to God. He was righteous and he was devout. Let's not breeze over these words and say, well, that was good for Simeon. Believer in Christ, if you, are, if you have been justified, then we also have the call to be sanctified, to be devout. Righteousness is about our salvation, our justification. Being devout is about our sanctification, about our growing, about our everyday pursuing Christ in a greater ways in our lives. James, in James chapter 2, uses similar words to this. He talks about faith and works. And good works are to accompany our faith. Good works are to accompany, accompany our justification. And yes, it's 100% true. And I don't want you to miss this at all. We are saved by God's grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by works. But a faith that saves is never alone. Okay, you get that? It's vital that we understand that, that there's going to be a living out of our faith in Jesus Christ. Faith and works go together. We don't work to earn our faith. We don't work to earn our salvation, but there are work, there's works that flow out of that salvation. It's not only about having the right actions towards others and having the right look and how you show up to church and the things you do and the things you say. It's even in our thinking. You see, you can have all the right words and have all the right actions and say all the right things and know theology and know God's word and have an evil, wicked heart on the inside. Someone can relate to that. I think we all could relate to that, right? Take, take a look at this quote from Matthew Henry, the great commentator. He said this, It concerns us to keep a strict watch over our thoughts. Because God takes particular notice of them. And I thought, wow, this is really humbling. This last statement, thoughts are words to God. Our thoughts that we think no one else can hear. No one else has any idea. You may be talking to someone like, oh yeah, it's so great to see you again. And like, I can't stand you. 
You know, or, I mean, we're saying certain things with our lips and our hearts are like saying something. No! Our thoughts are even, they're words to God and we need to guard these. Our standing before God and how we live and how we think, it matters. And so I ask you today, dear one, have you been righteous? Have you been declared righteous by God? Are you righteous in God's eyes? You're like, well, I, I, I think so. I hope so. So many Sundays, we love to share the gospel. And I'm going to share how you get declared righteous. You know, okay, here he goes again. He's doing this again. You know why I'm doing it? Because you do not know if this could be the first time that someone hears the gospel and gets saved. Or maybe it's the last opportunity that they have to hear the gospel because their life is going to be taken this week. And hearing these words puts us all under accountability before God. In hearing these words, you say, okay, I'll listen then. No, but you know why you listen if you've if you are declared righteous and you blah, 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 I know the gospel. You know why? Because you need to be rehearsing the gospel daily in your own life. To be embracing Jesus and to be reminded of what he's done. But have it fluently ready to share with those that need to hear the gospel. So many of us freeze up like, well, I don't know what to, share, what, what to say. Well, we, we share the gospel almost every Sunday. Because we want you to be firmed up on this. So, so how do we know if we've been declared righteous? Here's how you know. It's by personally understanding. And, and this is so amazing. A four, a five, a six-year-old child can understand this. And it's so vital that we do. It's by understanding that we have all sinned before a holy God. We are all sinners. And that there is nothing that we can do on our own account to be forgiven and to be in right standing with God. Not, a, not enough good works, not enough money, not enough saying the right thing, being so devoted and giving yourself to a two-year you know, mission for God or whatever it might be. That, that means nothing. It's then by understanding that Jesus came to this earth, God in the flesh. He came to this earth and lived the perfect life and died the substitutionary death he died in our place, taking our sin and our punishment and the wrath that we so deserve from this holy God who cannot tolerate sin. He took that punishment that we deserve upon himself. And then three days later, after hanging on the cross and laying in a, in a, in a, in a tomb, he rose again, conquering sin and sin, the, the penalty for sin as well as death. And so our sins are forgiven. We've been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been declared righteous before God, and we have the promise, the sure hope of eternal life when life is over because His righteousness, His conquering of sin, His conquering of death has been applied into our bank account. And we are so rich because of that. And so we see this beauty here of the gospel. If we confess then our sins, we repent, meaning we turn from our sins, we turn from our own ways, and we declare Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. We give our lives to Him in surrender in that way. We are saved, we are justified, we are declared righteous before God. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives as a mark, as a seal, as a stamp, and God's presence is now in us. 
And then we desire because we have new desires and we start changing because on the, from the inside out, the Holy Spirit is reminding us and teaching and convicting and, and allowing God's word to come alive in our lives in, in this way it, it, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we grow in wonder and awe. Christmas has got to be that time like God would come to this cruel, wicked earth for me, and we're in awe of that. And out of that awe and over what he's done for us, we are then compelled to want to live lives of devotion for him. We have been declared righteous, and on that righteousness, we want to live lives of devotion to God. Simeon was righteous and devout. Have you been declared righteous before a holy God? How is your life of devotion going then as a follower of Christ? If you say yes to the first one, then ask you, how is your life of devotion going today? Is there obedience to God's word? Or are you kind of wobbling in some areas? Are you kind of taking, you know, sort of the, you know, I'm going to go God's way here and, and, and my own way here. No, that's not being devoted. That's not living from your righteousness. That's living from your flesh. As Brett gave in the announcements earlier about baptism, one of the next steps, the important step then, is to declare before God and before your church family, before others, that you desire to follow and live for Jesus. And if you haven't done that, let's get it done on January 2nd and celebrate and bring the new year in that way. Get on that, some of you. We have about 10 people that need to get baptized that we know of. And so, come on, let's go. And let's get that done. It's not just about, it's like, glad I'm baptized. A lot of guilt going on there if you're not. No, it, it's just obedience. But then I ask you, hey, Obedient ones, righteous ones, devout ones. How is it when it comes to forgiving that person who has hurt you and offended you this past week or maybe it happened years ago? How are you at letting that go and giving it to God and trusting Him? How about those areas of fear that you are living in? God's Word tells us that if we're living in fear, that's not a faith and that's a sin and we confess that to God. How many of us are, are living the 5G life? That's something we talk about here. About what does it mean to be committed to, to, to the Lord? And, and you say, well, that's a hope church thing. Well, no, it, it's just the clear commands from God's word that we've taken and put some G's beside it. And, and we beat Telus and Bell and all those other people too when it came to the 5G life. They started that in 2017. We started ours before that. So we're going to sue them and, uh, you know, for, for naming rights and stuff like that. And uh, we're going to get a nice building someday. Um, anyways. But how are you when it comes to being devoted to to your God time daily. That's the first G, God time daily. Are you devoted to the word of God? Is it guiding and guarding your life? We need to be in God's word. And there's helps on our website, some resources for you to kind of kickstart your God time. We're coming up to the start of the new year. Make some plans to, 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 to get after this. Don't wait till January 1st, start today, but then make that a part of your life. That we are in the Word of God. What about gather time weekly? That's the second G that we have. Not forsaking the gathering of God's people. And if you're in a season right now where you're watching from home, we welcome you and we are glad that you are doing so. But please allow that to be a season. It's so easy for complacency and comfort to settle in and say, oh, I'll just watch online. I'll just stay home today. It's easier. Or, or it's, you know, oh, I'll watch later on in the week. Sunday morning, I've got a lot. No, this is where we prioritize. And God's word says, hey, you got to make this gather. We need to continue to keep gathering all the more as you see the day approaching. Is the day approaching? You better believe it. Just open up your eyes and see that the day of the Lord's return is approaching. And so what are we supposed to be doing? Sleeping in? Laying on the couch? Sorry if you're laying in bed. Lots of guilt trip for you right now. No, we are to be with, with God's people. 
You're to be on your couch with your family. You are to be with others, gathering together all the more as we see the day approaching. What about group time? We need brothers and sisters in our lives. Come on, get after it. If you're not in a group, get in a group. Fill out the connection card. Let's get that lined up so that we're overwhelmed with requests for people to join groups in January. Brett would be happy to just add another thing to his busy week this week. But that's priority. We want to get you on that. That there's accountability, there's studying, there's learning, there's support that comes from your group time. And if you've been lazy when it comes to group time, and some of you have been this past year, let's get on it. Come on. Let's be righteous and devout in this area, all right? Righteous in our declaration and who we are before God. We're not doing this out of guilt. We're doing it out of devotion for him. What about our, our, our gift time? Are we giving our first and our best when it comes to our time, our treasure, and our talents? Or is God just getting our leftovers? What about our go time? Are we involved in spreading and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you keep these cards that have, have the gospel so beautifully laid out on them? Do you have these on your person wherever you go? Um, you know, in, in your Bibles, in your car, in your wallet, wherever you might be. You can't more of these. They're on the, the counter there. I encourage you to grab one of those and you're being ready to share your faith and, and, and to be a part of the gospel work that is going on even here at our church. Here's the second quality we see in, in Simeon's life. The first one, we see his relationship with God, but second of all, we see that he was devoted and in tune with God's purposes. Verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does this consolation of Israel mean? Well, what this means is that he was looking, waiting, longing, couldn't wait. He, was excited. He, he kept looking at what was going on in the world. He was looking at the word of God, and he was waiting for a Messiah, Menachem is how they would say that in Hebrew. They were waiting for Messiah, for comforter, for, for uh, the one who would come and deliver God's people. Not just for himself, not just, oh, the Lord needs to return just so life will get easier for me. Or, or the, for him, it would have been, the Lord just needs to come. Uh, the Messiah needs to come so life will... It, it's for the nation. It's for all the peoples. And Simeon's life, we see, wasn't consumed about his agenda, but God's. This speaks of a single-minded devotion that he had. And you might say, yeah, but wait a minute. I mean, life back then would have been pretty easy and pretty simple. Life was, I mean, we've just got so much going on. We have so many distractions. We have so many pressures. I just wish I lived back in the days where you could just wear sandals all the time and you could wear nice flowing gowns and grow a big beard and everyone thought it was cool. Well, if you're a man, if a woman, it wouldn't be cool. Uh, but, you know, that, that just life seems simpler back then. But let me remind you, what these days were like for the people living, for Simeon, his family, his friends, for the culture in that day. Israel was under the Roman occupation. Everywhere you looked, you saw Roman soldiers telling you what you could do or what you couldn't do. Taxes in those days, you think taxes are high now? Taxes in those days would have been astronomical compared to even what we have here today. It was humiliating to be a Jew walking in Israel knowing that you are God's chosen people and you have these infidels who are there in your land, who are there telling you what to do, being your boss, that you were under the heel of the Roman Empire. What an embarrassment. What a terrible thing. And this not just happened for a few years. This was for decades. This was for centuries. And so they were waiting and longing and hoping for a deliverer that would come and free them. We need to understand this as well. The Jewish people, for the most part, when you look at the religion of the day, when you look at their faith system, much of the land was either apostate or legalistic. It was very small, the group of those who were devout, who were true followers of God. 
They talked about God on the outside. They had zeal for God. But when it came to tradition, when it came to their ceremonies, they had that all that down, but their hearts were far from God. That's what landed them into the trouble in the first place. And there were only a few who were truly righteous and devout. And a group that is oftentimes referred to as the word, as the remnant, the faithful remnant. We'll explain that in just a moment. But here's what the commentator William Hendrickson wrote He's about the situation in Jerusalem at this time. He wrote this, conditions were bad, very bad. Think of the loss of political independence, cruel King Herod, the externalization of religion. You might see some similarities to what's going on even today. Legalistic scribes and Pharisees and their many followers, there were many very devout people. Later on, 30-some years later, you see the Apostle Paul, then Saul of Tarsus. Very legalistic, very rule-following, but very lost, very far from God. Then there's the worldly-minded Sadducees leading the people into liberalism, denying the, the supernatural and much of the other aspects of the Old Testament, kind of coming up with a new gospel or, or a new uh, word from, from the Lord. Then there was the zealots who were leading people into political, politicalism, such as uh, just wanting to start an insurrection against Rome just, just because they wanted to. Then there was the Essenes who were leading people into monasticism, often out into the desert, involving their followers in various acts of just cruel self-denial. Added to all this, as we mentioned last week, the 400 years of silence from God. There was no prophets. There was no word from God. This was a tough time. This was not an easy time to be alive. This was not an easy time to be devoted and to be righteous. Yet through the centuries, there has always been God's faithful remnant, often a very small group of people. You say, what is a remnant? Well, a remnant is, if you're someone, it means a small remaining quantity of something, like pieces of cloth after a seamstress has made the project. It's the scraps of cloth that are left over. In the Bible, remnant refers to the people left over after God's judgment upon his people. People like Noah and his family. Very small people, the remnant that were saved when God flooded the earth in judgment. Or the Jews that returned home from exile in Babylon. That was the remnant that returned. And there always has been and is today a remnant of small, hungry, humble, waiting people first and foremost, committed in their lives to the purposes and the plans and the ways of God. And how did Simeon, how was he in tune in this way? How was, and, and we see he was waiting for God's kingdom to come. And how is he in tune? How is he trained up in this way? Through careful study of the word of God, we see later on in his song that he knew God's word. He knew what he's looking for, what he was waiting for. This is where it starts. It starts for him, it starts for us by being students of the word of God. And I wonder today, what has the loudest voice in your life? What are you tuned into every day, very religiously, if you want to say? Where is your focus? Is it on social media? Is it news? Is it politics? Is it career? Is it family? Is it material gain? Is it reputation? I'm not saying all of these things are wrong, but we have them so out of balance. Where's our devotion to God and to His Word and to His ways and to His work? Do these things have a priority in our lives or is it just kind of added leftover? 
And as we're in God's word, as we're students of God's word, and we're doing the work that God calls us, the work, the good and faithful work that he gives us to do, whether that's being that faithful hard worker in the job site, working with integrity, being a parent who loves and honors and, and, and desires to, to, to train up and to biblically discipline your children, in all of, to honor God with what we have, where we're at in life, in all areas, no matter what is going on around us, that we have this devoted to, what does God's word say? Am I devoted to the word of God? In the last few weeks, we've made two trips to Calgary, there and back, and, and both, both times, the four trips back and forth, uh, going there, coming back, counting as two, and doing that again, it, it, we just did not hit the jackpot when it came to weather. There was just some miserable weather, and uh, especially in the mountain passes that were just, just brutal. But this summer... Um, I purchased some sunglasses or some glasses, and um, they're not sunglasses, but they're driving glasses, and they have these yellow lens on, like pretty cool, hey. I all of a sudden I just pulled them out when the when it was snowing like crazy, and and I said to Charlotte, she said, "How do they work?" I said, "They're like caffeine for the eyes. <laughs> it just like makes everything stand out." It was amazing, like it was, it was snowing like crazy. All of a sudden I could see, you know, the other vehicles coming a lot sooner and, and I could see the side of the road and it just added this clarity throughout the day and even to the dusk hours after it got really dark, then it was, they didn't seem to help as much. But it was amazing and all through the day, I get, ooh, looks like, oh yeah, you got, oh, that's scary. Um, it, the clarity I now see, I see those gray hairs. I see, uh, anyways, uh, the clarity that, that a simple pair of glasses can bring and just gives us that, that certain lens. Well, you know what? When we are devoted to God's word, it is not like caffeine for the eyes. It's, it's an understanding to what we see in going on in the world, and it gives us hope. It gives us help. It gives us direction. It gives us perspective of, of what is going on. And so this is where it is important that we are devoted to not just be informed with what God's word has to say, but to allow it to transform us as we desire to obey and follow it. This means being ready to obey and, and, and to take the instructions of God's word. And as we place God's word priority in our lives, there gives a clarity and a peace and a strength that we need to maneuver through dark and very confusing times. The third quality we see here in the life of Simeon is that he was moved and used by the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, the last part, it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Notice how many times it says the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, three times. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Simeon was a student of Scripture and led by the Holy Spirit. Wow, could that... Oh, if that would be said about every one of us, watch out world, watch out central Okanagan, that we would be people of the word and led by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit to make a, a profound difference for God's glory and God's kingdom. Simeon was given a special and a very rare blessing. In the Old Testament, once again, people like Simeon, we would see that the Holy Spirit's filling and empowering was upon specific people for a specific purpose for a specific time. That was a very rare and special kind of occasion. But what was rare and special for Simeon and for Old Testament saints that you read about is now normal and real for believers today. To have the Holy Spirit 
moving and working in our lives. And if you are truly in Christ, as I already said, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and dwells there with you. And when we live lives of being devoted to the Word of God and allowing His Word to dwell richly in us, in our minds, in our attitudes, in our actions, we are then setting ourselves up to be moved and used by the Holy Spirit. Daily asking, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Fill me today. Use me today. Verse 27, it says, And He came in the Spirit into the temple. He was filled. He was ready. He showed up to the temple ready to go, devoted to God and to His purposes. Believer in Christ, hey, today, did you come? Did you come today filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Did you come today in the Spirit's power? Or did you, come, or you tune in online when you tuned in and, and got everything set? Was it with the power of the Holy Spirit? Was it fill me today, work in my life today, Holy Spirit? Did you come with a sense of readiness to hear from God and to be used by God? This past week when you went to school, at work, in the, in, in the workplace, at home, were you walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit or were you walking in the power of the flesh? It's either one or the other. Either you're living in the power of the flesh and your own strength and your own muscle and your own <clears throat> get to it. And there's, some of you are pretty strong when it comes to that kind of stuff, but it's not like the power of the Holy Spirit. What were you feeding this week, the flesh or the spirit in your life? And this means daily, hourly, walking in a humility before God and others in a dependency upon God, repenting of sin, Asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us. We don't want our sin grieves, it quenches the Spirit's power in us. But when we repent and we're cleansed and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, He tops us up again. He'll keep doing it because you know what? We leak. We're leaky vessels, and it's just the power of the Holy Spirit just can drain out of us. Not completely, but it can drain. And, And so we're going in our own power and strength. It's daily tuning into God's word and God's purposes. Simeon did that who's tuned into the Holy Spirit, are we? Fourthly, we see he embraced and beheld the Son of God. Verse 27, it says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child to Jesus to do for him according to the custom of, law, of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, What did he do? He embraced. He embraced the Son of God. Simeon took that baby in his arms. Could you imagine? Here he is waiting now for the the long-awaited Messiah, the promised one, the comforter, the consoler of Israel, the savior of the world is now in his arms. The Holy Spirit moved. This is the one. Could you imagine the emotions that he would have had that day? Taking that baby in his arms. I'm sure he was kissing those cute little chubby cheeks. In doing so, he was kissing the face of God. What a privilege. I mean, tears, no doubt, streaming down his face as he's beholding God. Could you imagine the joy flooding his heart? All these years, his faith has now become his sight. What he was hoping and longing for is now a reality. It would be a very different gesture 33 years later for those cheeks not to be kissed, but to be slapped slapped and spit upon. God in the flesh would be beaten, crown of thorns placed on his head, and he would be nailed to a cross. Today, are you embracing and beholding the Son of God and all that he's done for us, what he's done for you? 
Daily are you embracing, are you overwhelmed by his love, his mercy, his grace? And as a result, extending that mercy and that grace to others? Or is life for you, your attitude, your actions, cursing him today, spitting upon his face by your disobedience? By your, yeah, I know God's word says this, but I'm going to do my own thing. Here's something else. The Christmas story teaches us not only how to live, but more importantly, it teaches us how to die. Look what it says in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. When Simeon met and embraced Jesus, he was ready to die. The Christmas story teaches us not only how we are to live, but how we are to die. And we die differently if we are in Christ. For the righteous... For the devoted, God's word says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Truly embracing Jesus on this earth means embracing Jesus and the glory of heaven forevermore. When a loved one passes, everything is different if they're in Christ. And let's face it, death hits us hard. It leaves us raw. It leaves us broken. Death will be the last enemy to be put under Jesus' feet. But it will be fully, completely, 100% put down at Jesus' feet one day. But if you are in Christ today, we know that to be absent from the body is to be with our Lord. One day, all death, all sorrow will be gone for those who are in Christ. It will be defeated. Have you And are you embracing and beholding the Son of God today? Would your life, would your words, would your thoughts reveal that? If so, when the time comes, for you, for me, it will come. It will come. As certainly as there are taxes in this world, what is there also? There's death. There's death and taxes, two things you can be certain of. We can depart in peace and know within an instant we will be with God forever. Lastly, You see this, Simeon was used to bless and prepare God's servants. Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit here, this blessing to Mary and to Joseph and over the baby Jesus. Words of encouragement, great confirmation for this young couple, confirming that yes, he is the Messiah but also spoke of the reality that he would bring division, that he would be opposed. There would be the rising, many who would rise one day. Are you going to rise one day because of Jesus? But there are also going to be many who are going to stumble and are going to trip over him and are going to be judged beneath him. This is that reality, these words. And then he even said, and Mary, your own soul is going to be pierced. And that isn't just a little little paring knife that he's talking about. He's talking about a dagger. A dagger is going to pierce your own soul. Can you imagine? It would be a year, year and a half later, when the decree would be given for all young boys, two years and older, to be slaughtered. 
and they were warned in a dream, and so they escaped to Egypt. But Mary's heart would start, her soul started to be pierced, knowing that all those other young boys died because of her son. Later on, when his ministry and life was taking off, and there was great crowds following him, and yet great opposition, and they were ready to push him over a cliff. That's my son you're wanting to push over the cliff. And then later she would see him crucified dead on a cross. Her soul would be pierced. Life is hard, but there is Jesus. There is Messiah. And the words of comfort and the words of truth, and God's word doesn't hide it from us, life is going to be hard. We are going to have battles and struggles, but there is Jesus. There is Menachem, Messiah. As we end today, the Christmas season and story can have a lot of different sweet nostalgia and emotion for us. But loved ones, I trust that today our emotion would be replaced with devotion to God. We can learn and apply so much from this dear saint, this dear man of God. Next week, Lord willing, we will hear the story of Anna. And so today, I ask you, are you part of the remnant? Are you righteous? Are you devout? Have you been declared righteous before God and is your life one of devotion first and foremost to God, to His ways? Are you embracing and beholding Jesus today? Are you tuned in to the Word of God and to His, His plans and His purposes in our world? We are seeing so much happen and we adjust our lives to, to be a part of the work that He's called us to be a part of. Are you looking, waiting, preparing yourself and others for Christ's return? That's first and foremost the most important for us, that we're waiting, we're longing, we're looking, and we're telling others about the return of Christ. Jesus came to earth for the first time as Savior. The next time he returns, it's as judge. Let's worship him now as we declare. Let's worship him. And after we worship and, and, and sing words of praise and adoration, as we embrace this Jesus who has declared us justified to declare us righteous, would we commit our lives to be devout as we crown him this week with honor? Would we crown him with our words and with our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions? Because this is Christmas and you're going to need it in extra bounds with family, with friends, with everything going on in the world. We can crown him and honor and adore and see his purposes come alive in our lives and our families in this city, in this nation. Amen? And so God, I pray now, receive the worship of your people. Would we behold you even now? our great God and Savior. We have this path behind us that we see of faithful men and women who stayed faithful in the difficulties of life, in the discouragement, in the silence. God, would we do and would we be the same? Would we learn from these faithful examples, but ultimately would we look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Stand together as we worship him.